plenty of stuff to get to today. Um, a lot of thoughts, not only on my mind, I think, but also Austin's when it comes to Major League Baseball. Uh, you guys know that Austin and I are big baseball guys, but there's a lot of stuff to get to because it's now getting not to crunch time necessarily, but if you were listening to The Drive this morning, I brought up Scott Boris, mm-hmm. and who's, who's one of the best agents in all of baseball, in all, History. Of, in all of sports. Mm-hmm. I mean, in every single sport. Handles, I believe that the number is like six of the nine largest contracts in, in Major League Baseball. He makes annually, according to Forbes in 2023, made a little over $191 million last year in salary just in commissions. Or that's, that was what he made. Yeah. Over the, the, the calendar year, um, it, it was incredible because from January 1st of 2022 to March 19th, when Nick Castiano signed with the Phillies, he had made $121 million in commissions in less than three full months. A- a just absolutely astronomical numbers. However, this year is really fascinating because there are six of Scott Boris's clients still out there. Mm-hmm. that have yet to sign anywhere. But also, there's four big ones. And Austin, remind me, that it's Blake Snell, Matt Chapman, Cody Bellinger, Jordan Montgomery. Jordan Montgomery. Those are the four biggest ones that have yet to be signed. Spring training starts in less than a week. Yeah. In less than a week, in like four days. I believe it starts on, on Friday. The 23rd is the which, first Royals game, at least be Friday, yeah. Which would be Friday. So it's coming down to crunch time. Now, these guys are going to end up playing baseball again. It's not like mm-hmm. they're going to be pushed out of the league. But it was also fascinating because there was a, a general manager for the San Francisco Giants who have been talked about as one of the players or, or potential landing spots for these guys. Farhan Zaidi said this, quote, it's a little bit more disruptive to add at this point and anybody who is a free agent, we've theoretically had three and a half months to figure out a deal. And if it hasn't happened yet, at some point organizationally, you just need to turn the page and focus on the players you have in-house. A really telling quote, because there's been year after year, Scott Boris has seemingly been able to pull things out of a hat and just made it happen. Mm -hmm. But it's looking less and less likely that all six of his clients that are yet to be signed, that'll happen for all six of them. Maybe it will. Maybe guys like Cody Bellinger, who was one of the more improved players of all in in all of baseball last year, something crazy will happen for him. We saw it last week with the, with the Baltimore Orioles. They had some injuries to their rotation, which means, you know what? Maybe a franchise would be more inclined to overpay for a starting pitcher on the market, like a Jordan Montgomery. Mm -hmm. So when you look at this, it's also hard because it's it's basically like a holdout. You have Scott Boris and his client holding out for the a long-term, financially secure type of deal. Mm-hmm. But then also all the players, for example, the New York Yankees, who are in a big market, mm-hmm. have a, law, a, a big luxury tax number. By the way, the luxury tax, it, it, char- it charges every dollar that the New York Yankees, for example, spend charges 110% in luxury tax. So if the over the the, over the line, yes, over Mm -hmm. the line. So here's the thing. If the Yankees, for example, and I was listening to Ken Rosenthal's broad or uh, podcast from the athletic, by the way, and he made the example of why the New York Yankees never want to do short-term deals. 
You look at you, and short term deals aren't all that popular nowadays in Major League Baseball with some of the best talent. Fernando Tatis really got it started with his long term deal. You have Corey Seager, who signed a long term deal with uh, the Texas Rangers, Xander Bogarts. You can go down the list, Shohei Otani this offseason. Mm -hmm. All of them are now turning into double digit year type of deals. And for the New York Yankees, for example, let's say they sign Blake Snell to a one year $40 million contract. Well, by the time the luxury tax kicks in, being charged at 110% per dollar, you're paying double that contract. Mm -hmm. And so the Yankees, it doesn't make sense, sense financially to take a risk on maybe a guy that's towards the back end of his career. And whether that's Blake Snell, maybe not back end, but definitely not in this prime like he was with mm -hmm. the Rays. Yeah. And, and as he was pitching in the World Series. But in the back towards the towards the, the the back side of his career to go, hey, you know what? We'll we'll take a flyer on you one year. We'll pay you what you want and end up paying him at it when it's all said and done over $80 million. Which doesn't make a lot of sense for them to do, but it also doesn't make a lot of sense for like a Blake Snell to sign that. Even a Jordan Montgomery, right? These are guys that this is their last chance at a big contract. Blake Snell's 31. Yeah. If he takes a one-year deal now, he has to go through this process again at 32. That's just another year that he could have gotten before. So I understand from the player perspective where they want the security in years. I can understand the team perspective where, yeah, Blake Snell's probably tail end of his prime, but he's got, I would guess, you know, especially since his workload hasn't been all that heavy, right? 180 no. innings last year. Um, one of the higher you know, numbers in his, in his career. I'm pretty sure. Yeah. That was just two thirds of an inning off of his previous career high that he set back in 2018. The last time he won the Cy Young Blake Snell's got a few, I would think 150 inning seasons left in him, yeah. you know, probably 30 starts to five innings or so for, for a few years. Blake Snell's really good. I can understand why, you know, he would be looking for that, even just a four-year deal, right? I don't think that's overkill. You see your Verlanders, your, your Scherzers to some degree, kind of taking the NFL quarterback route where they're pitching more and more effectively into their mid-30s and upper 30s than, you know, we've ever seen in baseball history before. So I think there's less risk now, but if you look at a guy like a Blake Snell, he probably wants top tier money as mm -hmm. well, not just the security in years. And that's usually the trade-off, right? If you see a guy get a lot more years, they probably knock down yeah. for the team just how big that number of salary is. On the flip side, I'm shocked that a guy like Cody Bellinger hasn't been signed yet. Mm -hmm. Floored by that one. Even Matt Chapman, who yeah. had a bit of an offensive resurgence last year. I don't think he's going to be as good this year as he was last year, but that's still a, not just gold, but a platinum glove winner in Matt Chapman. Like he's Manny Machado, Nar yeah. Nolan Arenado level defense with a league average, maybe tick below yeah. that he's better than a bench player. He's probably a platoon guy for these mm -hmm. next few years, but a guy like Bellinger is still young enough that some team should be willing to give well, him, you know, three years, 60 million and feel pretty good about well, it. And, and most importantly, look at last year. So, so this, and this is what's so fascinating. I think just with, the way just sports professional contracts work in general, right? Because this can be mm -hmm. the case in, 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 in any sport where you have a guy like Cody Bellinger last year sign a short-term deal. He signs a one-year $21 million deal mm -hmm. with the Chicago Cubs. This was after he had a really disappointing end to his Dodgers career, um, his time in L.A. He was not that great 
offensively. He was fine defensively, but not that great offensively. And that was after he was an MVP caliber type of uh, player. <laughs> but he won the MVP. He won the MVP, yes. Mm-hmm. And and while still young, also mm-hmm. Cody Bellinger. So at that time, you're thinking, okay, take and everybody knew it. Take an opportunity, go to somewhere like Chicago where you can be the main piece. Mm-hmm. And he was. Go to Chicago, rejuvenate your career. Mm-hmm. And he did. Yeah. He was he was one of the best players in all of baseball last year mm-hmm. on a one-year $20 million deal or somewhere around that. So then now, if you're Scott Boris, you were telling him, I'm sure, two years ago, hey, let's take a short-term deal, revalue yourself on the free agent market by how you play this season, and then we can talk about a, a longer-term deal in two seasons, which would be present day. That's not happening. It's not. And the reason that players take those one-year deals is they call it either a a pillow contract or I've heard it referred to as a trampoline contract as well, right? The pillow is it's a soft landing. Hey, I just got to go play somewhere, right? If I have to take a one-year deal, I will. And, you know, because Cody Bellinger really had three down years in a row, right? He had a a 112 OPS plus in 2020 in the shortened season. He was okay. Not nearly as good as he was the year before and he won MVP. Had a 44 and an 81 OPS Yikes. plus Yikes. for reference. 100 is league average. Every yeah. point you are above, you're that percent better. So he was 56% worse than league average than 19% worse than league average. The, the previous two years last year, he bounces back to a 133 OPS plus. That's huge. I mean, the power came back with 26 home runs, yep. good situational hitter with the sack flies. Didn't strike out an, an overwhelming amount, especially compared to his walks, which is mm-hmm. huge. So he can say, I regained my value. I did everything I was asked to do, probably more. I'm sure you'd say as as a Cubs fan. So the hope then is that if a player takes those steps to get better, to improve, he's then rewarded, which is where the the trampoline comes into effect, right? Where they hit the bottom, they need something to springboard and they spring, and then they get the money that they're deserved. It's back up top. The problem is baseball economics are moving away from that, which is a problem. Mm -hmm. So now it's more like, jumping in a river, jumping in the ocean where you're not going to bounce back. All you can hope to do is tread water. Yeah. Pretty much stay right there. And that's where I think Cody Bellinger ends up in the three for 63, you know, three for 60 sort of range. And he's only going to be 28 years old this year. Like this is a guy that last year was technically the first year of his athletic prime. If you Mm -hmm. view it as ages 27 to 31 as your athletic prime, he's just entering it. And he's already won an MVP. Mm -hmm. People should be lining up around the block to sign this guy and they're yeah. not well. And, and you also have speaking with the Cubs specifically, right? Because I, I know there are a lot of Cubs fans listening and, and in the, the listening area here, mm-hmm. when you look at the Chicago Cubs, they're, they're a team that are an organization also has a nice farm system right now. They have the best statistically. And according to MLB.com and, and multiple rankings and outlets, similar to recruiting services outlets, they have the best farm system in the NL central, which is their division, right? They go and they they fire David Ross just a couple of weeks after they said, "Hey, you know what? We're good. We're we're not we're going to keep David Ross." Mm-hmm. Quietly and under the table after the Brewers an inner in division rival doesn't want to pay Craig Council, the Cubs say, "You know what? Let's go ahead. We're going to we're going to offer Craig Council 8 million dollars a year. I pay him the highest we've anybody in Major League Baseball has ever paid a manager." And we're going to bring him in to co- to to manage the Chicago Cubs. Mm-hmm. Five years, eighty million dollars for a, a manager that's consistently beaten you, and was a key in, in maybe constructing a roster also 
to once again go against you guys, right? With the Milwaukee Brewers. Well, so you bring Craig Council in and, and Cubs fans are sitting there going, all right, it's going to be, a, they're, they're buyers. They're, they made mm-hmm. the playoffs last year. Here we go. We're ready to go. You're in the Shohei Otani sweepstakes. I, I, and I still, to this day, firmly believe that the Cubs were in the Shohei Otani sweepstakes until the number got ridiculous. Mm-hmm. And, and I remember, Austin, I think you and I actually ended up doing the show together at, when, when, Otani, when the Otani news broke. Yeah. And I, I sat here, and I'll say it again, because I truly believe it, and I'm, 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 I'm ecstatic because a, a, an organization like the Cubs, and you know this as the Royals as well, mm-hmm. the mid-market, small-market teams, those are, I mean, you, you are investing so much into one guy when you're talking about over $300 million, mm-hmm. and that wasn't even the case with Shohei. It no. was more than that. Double. It, it, at, and half. <laughs> at, at, at three, I think the, I think the number that I said was like, and the Cubs offered at one point was like 375. Mm-hmm. And I thought, all right, you know what? Yeah, if you're going to get him for 10, 12 years, go ahead, right? Mm-hmm. At least you're a, a main player. Don't forget the 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 trickery and the sorcery that happened with, with Shohei's agent and the Toronto stuff and that there was rumors that he was on a flight to Toronto. That was never true. Shohei was at his crib chilling. And the Dodgers freaked out, panicked, and paid him a hundred million dollars <laughs> more than he had, than they ever need ever needed to. And his agent's like, "Quick, sign, sign, yeah, sign for a take back, sign exactly. it now, okay, come on, sign, sign it, sign it." <laughs> so I'm sitting there going, "You know what? At that point, ten years, seven hundred million. Don't ever pay that for a player, <laughs> unless you're the Dodgers or the Yankees, where you can afford maybe the that. Mets and Cohen, maybe something like Ma- that. Yeah, exactly. But now the Cubs are sitting here." And you have the GMs talking about, yeah, you know what? We like Christopher Morell at third base. So that takes Chapman off of their table. They like Pete Crow Armstrong in the outfield. So that makes less of a, of a need for Cody Bellinger to return. Mm-hmm. And they, they were in a playoff team last year with a, with a pretty decent farm system in year one of a manager. The, the expectation isn't World Series right now for, for the Chicago Cubs. It's not like you're in year four of Joe Madden where it's like, okay, we need to, we need to hit. Mm-hmm. We need to strike gold. Mm-hmm. That's not the case for a, a team like the Cubs. And so you're sitting there going, maybe we can just hold off and we're in the stare down up until the last moment until spring training starts. And we're going to see if Scott Boris and his client ever flinch. That's definitely one way to look at it. There are so many ways to, to go about this, right? You have your, your big market, medium market, and small market. Exactly. Teams. The big market teams you just talked about, the small market teams will never make those deals. The medium market ones will go back and forth for the right player. They'll make those deals. Mm-hmm. But specifically with the Cody Bellinger example here, that's the one I want to focus on. And Blake's no, we'll throw him into this conversation, maybe Montgomery. But when you look at these top tier free agents, Nick, what do you think they're going to sign for? Do they get 30 mil a year? Or do you think they're in like the 25 Man. range? Just ballpark. If you had to guess, I, gut I, feeling. I, I think I think a guy like Belly could get 30. Okay, so thirty million a year yeah. for Cody Bellinger. If you take Michael Walker's salary plus Seth Lugo's salary for this year for the Kansas City Royals, thirty-one million dollars. Exactly. Are they better having signed those two pitchers, or would they be better if they signed Cody Bellinger? Yeah. Clearly, they have thirty million dollars to throw around. They just did it. Yeah. But they chose to go with two guys who were probably three and four starters at the major league level that'll be the Royals two and three most likely, and that's fine. But then you look at even, you know, add the position players on top of that. Hunter Renfro, 
getting six and a half million dollars this year. Okay, that you're you're basically a quarter of the way there. Adam Frazier, four and a half. There's eleven million dollars. Yeah. Um, Garrett Hampson, two million dollars. We're up to thirteen. And then you throw in the bullpen guys. Will Smith making five million dollars per year. Chris Stratton making an average of four over the next two. That's twenty million dollars right there. On top of the 31, if you told me the Royals had $51 million Mm -hmm. to splash around in free agency, like I'm thrilled with what they did in the offseason. They added some interesting pieces. Absolutely. But if you could tell me that the Royals could sign, you know, Cody Bellinger for $25 million a year and Blake Snell for $25 million a year for the next three or four, I'm not so sure I don't like those deals better than everything the Royals brought in, right? I'm not mad. Like, I'm pretty happy with what the Royals did. But if you're telling me that Blake Snell and Cody Bellinger are still out there and the Royals jumped at these mid-tier guys instead mm-hmm. of maybe going for the the higher swings in the stars, kind of makes me wonder, like, huh, wonder why well, why they seemingly jumped the gun a little bit. I think a, a great explanation of this, and and we, it's part of baseball, and, and I guess professional sports, I, I think it's easy to look at in, in baseball specifically, but in all professional sports, it's truly fascinating if, if you have time to, to really learn on how rosters are constructed, right? Because construction of, of a roster is so imperative to a GM's legacy. And also, yes. I mean, let's be real, to whether or not they keep their job, whether how they draft, how they approach free agency, how they sign guys, their relationships with players, all that plays such a crucial and integral part of, in, in not only their legacy, but you know, obviously the, the success of the organization or team. And you mentioned the Royals in that, in that, in those regards, right. With, with taking multiple players that might not be the top tier talent, mm-hmm. but figure out a way to still win games. It's also assessing the division you're in. Right. Mm-hmm. And the Royals in their case are in a very weak and similar to the Cubs, a very weak division, the Royals in the AL central, the Cubs in, in the NL central, very weak divisions to where you don't need to go out and have a, an $800 million payroll for a season and to, to win games, right? It's not mm-hmm. an arms race. It no. is there. There's a different type of baseball that the Cubs or the Royals are going to play this year compared to what the Yankees are trying to do or the Dodgers, as we saw with Shohei Otani, a perfect example of big market that and, and roster construction that doesn't really make a whole lot of sense. The San Diego Padres. Mm-hmm. Look at the San Diego Padres. So they go out, right? And they they get Juan Soto and they pay a lot of money for Juan Soto. That's great. He was he's extremely young. I think he's still only like 22 years old. Juan Soto is if he's even that old. Um or so they go out get Juan Soto. Um, Soto is 25. 25. Maybe he was 22. So he'll he'll, he... he'll be a free agent at age 26, which go. is insane. So so Juan Soto out there, that's right. He got into the league at an extremely yeah. young age like 19. Nonetheless, Juan Soto goes out, he, they, they go, and he, he gets signed by the, the Padres at the end of the day. The most kind of head-scratching move of it's like, let's just try to bring in all these top-tier talent and just try to see if they can, can mesh together, if they can gel. When the Padres went out and signed Xander Bogarts last year, Xander Bogarts, former Red Sox shortstop, He's also one of these guys where it's like, all right, you don't think that when he signs an 11-year deal worth $280 million with the Padres that he's going to stay at shortstop his entire career. That's just not the way it works. I mean, look at Hanley Ramirez. Look at Manny Machado. Other guys like that. They don't stay. Seager's moving off short pretty soon. Seager's moving off of short. 
Um, they just don't stay in their positions, right? Because you usually have guys that are maybe better defensively. They move to DH. They move to first base, whatever the case may be. So Xander Bogarts, it was just announced last week. He's moving over to second base. Mm-hmm. Well, so not that Xander is is happy about moving over to second base. They're stuck in this, where do we put Xander? Because Kim is probably a better shortstop. Much and, better defensively. And, and he, uh, I, I, I always mess up. I butcher his name. It's like H-A-S-E-O-N-G. Yeah, Ha-Song. Ha-Song. Ha-Song Kim is a better shortstop overall. Mm-hmm. So he takes Xander Bogart's place. I also think Jake Cronenworth is probably the, the better second baseman over Xander Bo- Bogarts. Mm-hmm. You're not moving Xander to third base because yep. he, Manny Machado already moved from short to third, mm-hmm. right? And then at first base, you don't want to move Xander. He doesn't need to be over there. Oh, and you already moved one of your shortstops out to right field. Yes, and Fernando Tatis that you signed to a, a long-term deal. 14-340. 14 years, $340 million when he was young. And he's had PED problems. He's had substance abuse problems. There's been suspensions with Fernando. There's also been injuries mm-hmm. with Fernando Tatis Jr. And so then you go out Juan Soto and you they had Blake Snell at a time. And like So they've tried. They had Josh Hader as mm-hmm. well for a time at the trade deadline. Zero World Series. Not a single world championship has been won by the Padres. And this is where the roster construction comes into play. And I think it's a great example is because if you're the Padres here, you're sitting there with Xander Bogart saying, all right, we still have you for 10 years. You're set, set to make $25 million this year. That's going to go up. I'm sure incrementally every single season. And we don't really know where to put you. Mm -hmm. And so you're looking at that guy going, all right. And it's, it's no personal or hard feelings here. It's just, we could have the money that we're invested in you and go and get somebody we actually need. Mm-hmm. So then you have the trade conversations. Well, nobody wants to pick up the contracts. So then the Padres, similar to the Rockies with Arenado or similar to uh, just any big, any, any team that trades a star at the deadline says, okay, you know what? This is a contract done, but we're still going to be held on for the contract. We'll pay it for, for an Arenado to go to St. Louis. Mm-hmm. The, the, the Rockies paid, they the basically continue to pay Arenado's contract for him to play in St. Louis, right? Mm-hmm. That's where the Padres are at. So it, in a, at a moment when, when it all started and they signed Fernando Tatis Jr. to the long-term deal, who is their future, they looked like, all right, in the next five, six, seven years, we expect a world championship. But here mm-hmm. you are a couple years later and you feel just as far away from that as you were once again, five, six years ago. I have an uncle who's a Dodgers fan, so I've enjoyed their success for his sake. I respect what the Padres have done in going for it, right? They made those big trades. What they did when Preller first got there was build up their farm system. They dealt from positions of strength. Now, Preller's really active. Like every deadline for the last like four or five years, they've gone for it. It hasn't worked out. Mm -hmm. But I appreciate that they're continually willing to step up to the plate and make those you know, moves to be aggressive, to try to mm-hmm. win. I kind of want to see him rewarded for it. Like I have no allegiance to the Padres. There's yeah. nothing there, but I think they're a model of what baseball should be. Right. We, we talk about, I mean, the Cubs had their success when they tanked. The Orioles seem like they're on the come up. San Diego bottomed out for like a year or two. 
but they weren't yeah. like atrociously abysmally no. bad like those early Astros teams or the Orioles were. Yeah. They rebuilt their farm system with savvy drafting. They made big trades for superstars. Like who wouldn't want to play in San Diego? You know, so that's why I'm a little bummed for them that it hasn't worked out to the degree I think it should have yeah. given the talent they've acquired. Well, and it's it's incredible because you look at just once again, so much de- depends on where you're at in your division and and things like that. Um, the Padres also went through a giant rebrand. Don't forget, mm-hmm. like they 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 completely swapped colors. They they redid their logo. The Petco Park is still a really cool ballpark. Um, and so they just hosted an all-star game a couple of years ago. Like things like that are important for organizations, but mm-hmm. yet it feels like a team like the Diamondbacks has passed them in the NL West. It seems it feels like the Giants are a team that once again could be even, if not a little bit above or ahead of the San Diego Padres. And it all goes back to kind of roster construction. And they've just tried to throw some stars together. They traded. Also, don't forget, they I can't remember if they dealt or if they just allowed him to, to kind of move on. Will Myers. Well, I believe Will Myers is gone from, from San Diego. No, he's they, still there. They traded. Okay, well then, I, I apologize. Scratch that. I shouldn't have said that. Oh wait, yeah, they they just they uh, the Reds just signed him. That's right. Okay, good the, call. Okay, good thank call. you. Okay, yeah, good call. So nonetheless, they didn't trade him. He's they, just signed. They just yeah. si- he signed yeah. with the Reds. So Will Myers is no longer there. There was a uh, there was a time where Will Myers was the best prospect or the most promising prospect in the Padres organization. After he was the most promising prospect in the Royals organization. There you go. And and he ends up then once it's done when it's all said and done moves on from San Diego and you, you buy stock in Fernando Tatis and it's not working out as well because he's got his own off the field issues. Then you sign Xander Bogarts, you sign Manny Machado, you bring in Juan Soto. And, and there's also more Josh Hader, Blake Snell. Like, there's more names to it. And it just, you're just trying to throw something against the wall, hoping it sticks and they don't end up meshing or gelling well together. And maybe part of that too, is that, they tried to be the Dodgers, yeah. right? Except the Dodgers are one of the best in baseball at drafting, at identifying what it is their guys do well and fitting a team together. Yeah. Where I think San Diego might have looked in from the outside and said, throw players at the wall, throw money at the wall. It's going to work out eventually. Yeah. To their credit, they were abysmal in one run games last year and were I, much better than their record showed. Yeah. But your record's your record. I also think that the Dodgers, to an extent, have done that and and same with the Yankees mm-hmm. and has it necessarily worked out? It hasn't. It, no. it worked out finally for the Rangers last year who signed Simeon and, and mm-hmm. Corey Seager. They also got good contribution from young guys like Josh Young and, and, and other guys um, really guys starting pitching as well for the, for the Rangers. But if you look like the Dodgers, right, it, it's, it's, you're going to sign all these guys and it results in you losing the NLCS every year. Then Dave Roberts is on the hot seat. Then you go out, you sign Shohei Otani for basically 20 years. Mm-hmm. And while it's commendable what Shohei's doing with the deferred money, it's how does the organization operate that extra money? How do they use it? Mm-hmm. Because you have also other organizations, for example, like Mike Trout, who says just the other day that he does not want to be traded. He's like, I, that, I feel like that's the easy way out of Anaheim. <laughs> And, and, uh, Mike and, Trout is Dame Lillard. And, yeah, you feel so bad for Mike Trout, but now you don't because he's been open about, I don't want to get traded. I understand mm-hmm. the narrative out there. But Mike Trout says, quote, I've been pushing, pushing, pushing 
And then he mentioned owner Art Moreno to sign impact free agents, but the Angels haven't, right? Mm -hmm. The Yankees are signaling that they're still interested in Boris's left-handers, Blake Snell and Jordan Montgomery. But once again, you have the luxury tax issue that you don't want to play with. The Cubs talked about Christopher Morrell switching over to third base instead of signing a free agent at third. Do you, you see Nico's flip from spring training I, today? I sure did. <laughs> I sure did. Um, and, and, and then Bellinger, right? So you have all these teams that are, are open and honest and transparent about we need pieces, mm -hmm. but we don't want to pay what you're forcing us to pay. Mm -hmm. And so now it's going to be really interesting because going back and tying this all into a bow from what we started talking about with Scott Boris, it's a stare down. You're, it's a stare down and who's going to flinch first. Now, if I had to pick one, Boris is on is is a, on a little bit higher ground simply mm -hmm. because injuries are part of the game. Openings are going to be needed. They're, they're going to need pieces to fill, mm -hmm. you know, some voids from injuries. Things like that are going to happen. So eventually somebody's going to sign Bellinger, Chapman, Snell, Montgomery, and the other two as well. It's just when does it happen? Does it happen during spring training? Does it happen into the season a little bit? Are some of these guys even late season acquisitions? A guy like Hinjin Ryu, who's in his mid thirties, I believe, mm -hmm. is a guy that maybe you bring on how you know halfway through the season, towards the back end of the season, and he helps out a, a World Series contender because that's a guy that breaks down after like eighty innings. Absolutely, is what it feels like. Absolutely, and so you feel like maybe Boris and his clients are on a little bit higher ground, but once again, just the roster construction and championship windows, and also understanding that. Small market teams have to construct their roster and 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 sign contract guys to smaller deals and smaller championship windows, maybe more so than big market teams that can go out and drop $700 million on one player, have them defer that money for 10 years from now. And then also the Dodgers really haven't signed anybody ever since Shohei deferred that money simply to have the Dodgers go out and continue to bring in talent. They haven't done a whole lot. They haven't. And so it's just, it's a fascinating side of, of things as we're less than four days away from spring training starting. I forgot they got James Paxton. They did. I'm not sold on that move. I get why they would do it, but I'm not sold on that. Yep. There you go. Um, how about this? We get a text in from the text line. So Nebraska basketball has the biggest basketball game of the season tomorrow. And for a half hour, we've talked about baseball. Come on, gents. I love baseball as much as y'all, but can we get some Nebraska love for a Nebraska radio channel? Hold on. So at the top of the show, mentioned, all right, we're going to preview Major League Baseball. And then in the second segment, we're going to talk about Husker basketball. So it's time to take a break. We were going to already. Nebraska, Indiana. But guess what? Also, we have all day tomorrow to talk about it, too. Because we have the game's all tomorrow. on the block. So let's talk about it. We'll talk Huskers and Hoosiers when we return. Good conversation on baseball, though. No, no, I no, no disrespect, no hard feelings. Also, unnamed texture. That's not what I'm trying to get at. But um, I promise, I understand that uh, that folks want to listen to Nebraska, but also baseball season right around the corner. And I felt like this was somewhat educational too. It was fun because I, I don't Baseball's think fun. I don't think a lot of I, I don't think a lot of of and this is completely okay without the in depth like all right, how are these constructed? Who's the who's the GM? Things like that matter the most mm -hmm. and. People might not realize that. And so we're also here to educate also in addition to talking strictly about Nebraska sports. There's more 
more to this for sure. Let's take a break. When we come back, we'll, we'll preview Huskers and Hoosiers as a tip-off tomorrow night on the Big Ten Network. There's also a big college basketball game tonight just up the road. Number one, UConn is traveling to Creighton. I know we don't want to talk about it, but it's a big one. Let's talk about it all coming up next on the Happy Hour.